Thessalonians chapter 4 as we continue our study through uh, Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica. And uh, as we get into chapter 4, chapter 4 beginning in verse 1 is a little bit more difficult because now he's actually going to kind of change a little bit in the direction of his letter. And he's going to speak specifically toward something. But before we get there, I just I want to share this with you. Jonathan Edwards, uh, who was a leading evangelical theological or theologian of his day, and is still read behind today. Matter of fact, here's what he said. He has shared his testimony of of a young man growing up, and he relates the testimony of his own salvation. And one of the things that Jonathan Edwards that is documented in a biography of him, and here's what it says. He says, The drive and the motivation behind Edwards' life was his overwhelming thirst for God and the things that concern God. Purity, holiness, virtue, and truth. But the interesting thing about Jonathan Edwards' life was his overwhelming thirst for God his desire for God. And so Jonathan Edwards' desire highlights, I believe, for us an important point as we come to chapter 4 of First Thessalonians, as we come to this part of Paul's letter. And so for believers, for us today, we should have this just overwhelming burden and desire within our hearts to know as much about God as we possibly can. If you come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 through verse 2, Paul begins this portion of his letter with the words, Finally then. After everything Paul has shared so far in the letter, he comes now, as he comes to the close of this, this portion of the letter, he says, Finally then, brethren. He says, We request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us instruction, as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray this morning as we get into the message. Father, we pray this morning that as we look at Paul's letter Father, as we examine what is written before us, Father, I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would go before us, prepare the way for us. Father, may we surrender and submit ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit as, as we look at this passage of Scripture. Father, to draw from it what you would have us to see that we could take and make it a part of our lives each and every day in our own walk. And Father, for our desire to be to seek you in all that we do, to, to learn as much about you as we can to move closer to you in all that we do in our lives each and every day. And so, Father, I pray this morning that your word would accomplish what you intend. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. As you come back to verse number one, it's, it's interesting as you look at the words, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus. 
what Paul is actually saying is here, not only do we ask you, but we urge you. It's not just, it's not just, a, re, just a simple request here. He said, not only are we asking you, but we're urging you to take your walk with God with even more seriousness and with more sincerity. In other words, he said this in verse number one. He said, you're already walking this way, but he says, we, walk, we look for you to walk even more. This urging, this, this desire to take our Christian walk with seriousness, as Paul's writing this to the church at Thessalonica, how appropriate it is for us today that in our walk with the Lord, in our walk with Christ, that it become even more serious with us today in the world that we find ourselves in. It's needed. It's desperately needed. And let me ask you a question this morning. How serious do you take your walk with the Lord? How serious is it to you each and every day as you're living out your life and you find yourself involved in all of these different circumstances of life? How important is it to us to walk in a manner that is pleasing to a holy God? You know, their salvation as we come to this portion of the letter, as we think about the church in Thessalonica, their salvation was not something that began and ended in heaven, but it was also a part of their daily living. And my dear friends, salvation, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't start in heaven and end in heaven. It's a part of our walk every single day. In other words, how much do we desire to know about God? How much do we desire to please Him? Now think about this with me. Because of His great love for you, because of what He did for you on the cross of Calvary, before, be, because of what he does for you each and every day, the motivation behind our service to him ought to be as a result of what he's done for us, not what we can get out of it. So Paul says, we urge you. We're not just requesting here, but we're urging you to walk in a manner that is pleasing to God with all absolute seriousness and sincerity of your relationship with him. You know, our desire to know God should increase. I don't know about you. I don't know what your, how your desire is for the things of God and are about God. But I'm going to tell you something. Every day that goes by, my desire is to know more about Him than I did yesterday or that I do today. Why is that? I want to know as much about the one that I possibly can here on this side in preparation for spending all of eternity with Him. And if I had people ask me this, well, hold on a minute. Is it really that important that we know as much about him now since we're going to spend all of eternity with him as a believer? Because doesn't the scripture say that when we go to be with him, then everything will be known to us? Well, my dear friend, let me ask you a question. Don't you want to know? Don't you have a sense of expectation or anticipation in your own heart and life of what it's going to be like when you get to be with him for all of eternity? I don't know about you. I do. Matter of fact, I want to know as much about the one who loved me. I want to know as much about the one who gave himself for me. I want to know as much about the one who took my place. I want to know as much about the one who gave me eternal life and freed me from sin as I possibly can. And that should be our desire. And that's what Paul says. He said, even though you're, you're actually, you actually do walk this way, we, 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 just, we, we urge you to walk even more. You see, spiritual growth is not instantaneous. 
It doesn't happen overnight. We all grow in our lives spiritually over, over a span of time. But my dear friend, it ought to be growing on a regular basis. We ought to be growing in our spiritual life. It doesn't happen by osmosis. And my dear friend, let me share something else with you. Just coming to church on Sunday morning at 1030 is not going to cut it. It's not going to get it. Let me tell you how we learn more about him. Let me tell you how we grow spiritually by digesting the word of God. Every single day of our lives, spending time in the word of God. How do we grow spiritually? By spending time in the word of God. How do we grow spiritually? By meditating on the things of God through the Word of God. How do we grow spiritually? By seeking Him every single day of our lives. How do we grow spiritually? By becoming more like Him in our lives as we possibly can. And that should be the desire of all of our hearts. It doesn't come by osmosis. So in other words, you can't lay down at night, put a Bible underneath your pillow, and expect to get all of it at the end of the day doesn't happen that way matter of fact people study their bible for all of their entire life let me share something with you this morning i study it every single day every day that goes by i spend it well you the preacher you're supposed to my dear friend let me share something with you if you're a believer today you ought to have the same desire you ought to have the same desire as one writer put it Here's what he said. No carrot swings from the end of the text. And you'll get that in a minute. No carrot swings from the end of the text. What's he saying? Paul is writing from the point that as a Christian or as a believer, your desire must be to please God. As a believer, that should be your desire to please God. No carrot hangs from the end of the text. In other words, it's not simply about what I can get out of this thing. Not just to get the prize at the bottom of the box. Now, I don't know how many of y'all remember this. But as a boy growing up, we used to have something called Cracker Jacks. How many of y'all couldn't wait till the next new box came out with a new toy in it? Huh? How many of y'all remember the toys they used to put in the bottom of the cereal boxes? couldn't wait matter of fact we were known to sometimes <laughs> to get to the toy at the bottom of the box Paul said here's one of the things that I want you to understand here there's no carrot that hangs at the end of the text it's not about what I can get out of it at the end our desire to know more about God is simply that. A desire to know about the one who loves me so. And Paul said, I, I, we urge you. We urge you to walk this way. He said in verse 2, for you know what commandments we gave you. And it, notice what he says, by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Not ours, but by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It comes to verse 3. And as he comes to verse number 3, now things are going to get a little bit more specific. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. Let me tell you right now, do you know what God's will is for your life? For you to become more like Christ. That's what his desire is. 
to be conformed to the very image of his son, Jesus Christ. Well, my dear friend, let me share something with you. There's only one way you're going to get there, and that's spending time in the Word of God, learning as much about the one who saved your soul as you possibly can. He said, but this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles or the heathen who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all of these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. So why does Paul go here? Why does he go to this subject in verse 3 that you obtain from sexual immorality? You need to understand Thessalonica just a little bit. Thessalonica was part of a very debased Greco-Roman culture. And when I say debased Greco-Roman culture, one of the things that I want you to understand sexual promiscuity was rampant that's that's where they are and so for those in the church at Thessalonica many of them had come out of that walk of life and so Paul was concerned about where they were well what type of things are you talking about brother Robert well I'm talking about fornication adultery homosexuality pedophilia and the list continues that's who they were that was the environment that they found themselves in. Well, my dear friend, let me share this with you this morning. We're not far from it. We're not far from it in America today. As we find ourselves in the things that are taking place in America today, Paul is dealing with it here in the church at Thessalonica. But here's the thing about Thessalonica, sexual immorality was more customary and more tolerated in that culture. It was part of the Roman Greco culture. Matter of fact, a lot of the Greek gods were, were gods that were erected to sexual entities within inside of culture. And so there was, a, there was a big cultural atmosphere here that the church at Thessalonica found themselves in and now they had been drawn out of because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and so Paul is encouraging them to walk even more in your desire to please God because something was in the back of Paul's mind he's already given it to us before as we saw in chapter 2 and again in chapter number 3 Paul understood who the adversary was. Paul knew who the enemy was. Paul's concern for the church at Thessalonica would be that they would be drawn back into that lifestyle that they came out of. And my dear friend, let me share something with you today. That ought to be our concern as well. The temptation that's out there today, the sexual immorality that faces us today in the culture that we live in today, it can be a tough place to live. It can be a tough place to work. And let me say this. This is a difficult subject to deal with. 
but it's, it's one that I believe today we must take the time to deal with. So the new believers that were in Thessalonica, they were faced with strong challenges. It was everywhere around them. The pressure and the pull from the old paths to do what? To go back. Well, as you look at the text, I want to I point a couple of things out to you in the text. If you look at the end of verse number 3, Paul writes here that you abstain from sexual immorality. That word abstain there that Paul uses means continual abstinence. Continual abstinence. In other words, you're not involved in it at all. Period. And let me say this this morning. For believers, that's a path we should not even go down. It's a path we should not even entertain in our lives as believers. Is it easy to? Yes. Is the temptation there today? It is. Was it present in Paul's day? It was. And Paul's grave concern was that they would turn around and walk back down the old path instead of remaining on the new path where they had been called to. But Paul also says something else in verse number 4. He said that each of you know how to possess his own vessel. That word know there comes from the Greek word oida. And here's what it means. He said you have the knowledge and the instruction to know how you ought to walk. In church, let me share something with you today. You have the knowledge and you have the instruction to know how you ought to walk and how to possess your own vessel. Where is it? It's in the Word of God. It's clear. This is the way we should be. This is the way we should walk. And my dear friend, let me share, let me share this with you as well. Our desire to seek the ways and the things of God, to stay in the Word of God, to immerse ourselves in the Word of God, to meditate on the Word of God, is so important. You can't afford to go a day without it. Why? Because there's an enemy, there's an adversary known as Satan himself who is going to do everything he can to draw you away. And let me say this to you. You don't have enough strength with inside of yourselves to stand up to the pressure that comes apart from the Holy Spirit of God. But here's one of the things we also don't do. Don't put yourself in a place where you've got to try to determine whether or not I'm going to be strong enough to get through this. Just don't even allow it. Don't even go there. From our thoughts, from our walk, from our lips, from our actions, whatever it may be. And I will say this today. Social media has put a level in there for us today that makes it even more easy, makes it more convenient to walk down this path than it has ever been before. And I hear people say this all the time. Well, it's easier hidden. Let me share one thing with you. You might be hiding it from those around you, but there's not a hiding of it from God. Sexual sin, listen to me. Sexual sin will destroy your witness and testimony as a believer. Sexual immorality, my dear friend, we read these, 
words of Paul and writing to the church at Thessalonica, and it's almost like, there's nothing, boy, I tell you what, I wonder what they went through in that day. Nothing different than we do today. What destroyed Rome? Was it, was it military from outside? No. You know what destroyed Rome? They came apart from the inside. Things are no different today. But he says in verse 4 that each of you know from the Greek word oida how to possess your own vessel in sanctification. That word sanctification is also an interesting word because it comes from the Greek word hagiosmos. And here's what it means. It means holiness or consecration. So sanctification, that same Greek word hagiosmos, means sanctification, holiness, and consecration. So we ought to see our sanctification as something that is holy, is a consecration of our lives to God himself. And my dear friend, there's only one way that that's going to happen is for you to spend more time with him. Because then you understand and realize who he is. He's a holy God. And my dear friend, understanding and realizing that he knows our thoughts, he knows, he knows all about us. He knows our frame. You're not going to hide anything from Him. And my dear friend, as a believer, one of the things I think we always need to remember is this. As a believer, every time you walk down one of those paths and put yourself in one of those places, let me tell you what you're doing. You're dragging the Holy Spirit of God with you. Really? Is that what you think of your life as a believer? He said, as in verse number five, he said, on how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles, and notice the next phrase, who do not know God. Here's what Paul says, you know who he is, therefore this is the way you ought to walk. And he said, and even though you're actually walking this way, we want you to even walk more in this way. Why? Because Paul was concerned about them reverting and going back. My dear friend, listen to me. The church today, we don't need to be regressing, going backwards. We need to be moving forward stronger than we ever have. And what is that going to take? Not until God's people begin to seek God with all that we have. You know, the psalmist wrote, As a deer pants after the water brook, so my heart longs for God. Like, in, like, like our thirst in a dry and thirsty land. To be so thirsty for the ways and the things of God that we can't get through a day without spending time with Him. That's what this desire is that Paul's speaking about here. Of knowing God and knowing who He is. That word sanctification, I keep coming back to it in, in verse 3 and verse number 4. It's the process of being separated from sin and set apart to God's holiness. That's what sanctification means. Separated from sin and set apart to God's holiness. You think about that for just a moment. Separated from sin. Now, moving which direction? Toward the holiness of God himself. Thus, the Greek word hagiosmos, which can also mean holiness and consecration. 
See, our sanctification is a process. But it's a process for each one of us as believers to have a desire to grow in our faith in Jesus Christ. To move closer to Him in all that we can in every way of our lives. So what is this separation? This separation from sin is from all that is evil, all that is fleshly, all that is Im- that's impure. That's what it is. To separate ourselves from all of that. So due to the permissive culture of Thessalonica, guess what Paul does? He begins with their first priority in their sanctification process. Why? Because it was a part of their life every single day and still was even though they were a believer. They were confronted with it every day. Let me ask you a question. Is there something out there that keeps you and draws you away from the things of God? Is there things out there that can keep you away from God? Are there things out there that can keep you away from the Word of God? Are there things out there that can keep you from the gathering of God's people together? Are there things out there that can draw your allegiance, that can draw your loyalty away from from God Himself? Paul basically saying, we're going to start with this one. Why? Because it was in your face every single day. It's part of your daily life. So are there some things that are in our face every single day in our lives to draw us away from the things of God and where we should be that we probably need to get rid of? You say, well, Brother Robert, you got any any examples? No, but you do. I know what keeps me away. I'll tell you what keeps me away. It's called procrastination. Any procrastinators in here? Any? Any procrastinators? How about busyness? Can busyness keep us away from our, our time with the Lord? It can. For those of you who don't know about procrastination, okay, let me tell you what that means. I learned that at an early age especially in school I'd have fun all during all during school until we got down to the end and I knew exactly how much I had to have to pass and guess what I'd do I'd crank it up for about three or four days however long was needed I'd get the minimum that I needed to get on to the next one and I was done so for all you young people that's in here, all you who are watching online, that is not the way you ought to do school every day. Here's the way you ought to do it. You ought to start off on day one, <laughs> doing everything that you're supposed to. But procrastination, if we're not careful, how many of you in here say, well, you know, it'll wait till tomorrow. It'll wait till tomorrow. It'll wait till the next day. Well, I'll get around to it. You know what? I used to keep around to it in my desk drawer. You know why? It was a constant reminder to me of never getting around to it. Paul says, here's what I want you to understand. Here's, here's what I want you to draw from this. 
as a believer, as a believer in Christ, you're responsible for maintaining self-control over the desires of your own flesh. We all are, aren't we? Huh? It's awful quiet in here. Aren't we responsible for our own flesh? Sure we are. That's what Paul wants them to understand. At the end of the day, you're the one that's responsible. And oh, by the way, <laughs> please don't, don't use God as a scapegoat. Don't blame God for it. Don't blame God for the choice you make. And I've had, I've, had, I've had people actually tell me this. Well, if God had not have done this, I would not be. Uh, uh, you better be careful with that. You better be careful. And I hear people say this all the time. Well, Satan made me do it. Satan didn't make you do anything. Did you know that? He didn't make you do anything. In the middle of the temptation, in the throes of the passion, in the throes of the heat, you still made the decision. You ready for this? No one knows you better than yourself. Watch out, though. There is one who knows you better than yourself. And that's God himself. How many of you guys, your wives, know you better than you do? Than you know yourself? Anybody like that in here? You're going to be bold enough to raise your hand. Huh? How many of you have ever had your wife say to you, I knew that's what you were going to do. A few of you are bold enough to raise your hands. Okay? Let me ask you, let me do it this way. How many of you wives have made that statement? Look at them, boy. I mean, they shoot up in the air all over the place. We all make the choices. That's why in verse 4, Paul made this statement. You know how to possess. In other words, that phrase, the Greek phrase there, here's what it means. To gain mastery over your own vessel. To gain mastery over your own vessel. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered why Paul said this repeatedly? I bring my body under subjection how often? Every single day. Huh? You ever thought about that? Every single day. Why? Because Paul was just like you and me. That's why. So what do you pull out of verse 1 through verse 6? The application to the sexual behavior of the believer today is obvious. And the challenge has not changed. What Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica is just as relevant and appropriate and applicable to us today as it was the day Paul wrote it. 
nothing's changed. Look at the world around you. Look at where we are. So what do you do with that? Well, think about this with me. You know, living sanctified lives. Now, I don't mean holier than thou. Oh, like the monks, okay? We don't go out on the street corner and say, Oh, look at me. I'm fasting. I'm four days into the fast. We don't go stand out on the street corners offering up prayers to heaven so that men can hear us or see us. It's not a holier-than-thou attitude at all. But living sanctified lives, in other words, lives where we seek God every day in all that we do to live pleasing to Him in all that we do still means living counterculturally in many cases. Basically, that means to live against culture. And what culture says is acceptable to what culture says is okay. Go get all you can get. Grab all the gusto you can. You're only going to come around one time in life. So you might as well enjoy all of it that you can while you're here. Because when you die, it's all over. My dear friend, listen to me. As a believer today, here's what the Scripture tells us. When we pass through the portal of death, my dear friend, we just then begin to live. And all the things that God has for us. So to live in such a way today that our lives reflect the very one who loves us so. You cannot do that one day a week. It takes every single day. Why do you think Paul said, he made this statement, he said, the things I ought not to do, I do, and the things that I ought to do, he said, I don't do. And he called and referred to himself as a wretched man that I am. Why? Because we still have that fleshly part of us that selfish part of us that is one of the most difficult things to press down and put to the side is our own selfish desires. To put our selfish desires to the side and allow the God's desire for our lives to be where they need to be. And then I'll just share this in closing with the church this morning. As believers... We're to live by God's standards regardless of how they compare to societal terms. It's time that the church be the church and stand firm on the Word of God and to live in light of the Word of God. Paul said, starting in your sanctification process, to abstain from sexual immorality. Because it glared him in the face every single day. So my dear friend, if I can encourage you with this, whatever it is that may be in your life that keeps you drawn away from the things of God, you need to examine it. Because here's what it means. If it stands between you and God, then it's wrong. 